0: Carl Nolte is a reporter, or as he would like to call himself, a newspaper man. And when we asked how long you've been a journalist, he said, I wouldn't call myself a journalist. I am a reporter. I love to follow a good story. He's been a writer for the San Francisco Chronicle since 1961. He covers San Francisco, the West, and during times of war, he's been across seas as war correspondent. Carl's received many, many awards from the President's Medal for Public Service and the Maritime Heritage Awards, both from the San Francisco Maritime National Park Association to the Lifetime Achievement Award through the University of San Francisco. We've met with Carl on the backside of the Ferry Building overlooking the bay. And the first thing that Carl tells us about is that the bay was not always a bay. Here's Carl Nolte.
1: I'm Susan Brown. I'm Michaela Joy O'Shea.
0: And I'm Jay Yee. You're listening to Beyond the Fog Radio, our podcast about the untold stories of San Francisco's long history from the people that have helped shape it. Whether you're new to San Francisco or have lived here your entire life, join us as we share the stories of our city by the bay.
2: I grew up in San Francisco, California. I lived in New York City. I lived in Los Angeles. I'm very drawn to the water, and I really enjoy all those cities because of the water, especially San Francisco and New York, because they both have amazing ports. But we have a very special port, because you can see two bridges, the Golden Gate Bridge and the Bay Bridge. And our port, unlike other ports, really wants you to walk along the water and take nice long walks and when you're having kind of a stressful day you can walk to the end of market street walk on the embarcadero cross the street go to the ferry building grab a coffee and then take a nice walk all the way down the port and it's very soothing and it's very calming in the same way that walking on the beach is, only it's right here in the city, and then you can get back to work no problem. You don't have to jump in a car and drive to the beach like you do in L.A., and you don't have to jump on a subway and fight a bunch of people and go to the South Street Seaport like you do in New York. Our waterfront is wide, it's big, and it invites you to walk. Other waterways invite you to take a boat or water skiing, but ours is all about walking, and that's what I love
0: about our waterfront. Michaela, have you been to New York? A
1: few times. Yeah, a couple times.
0: Yeah. I don't, <laughs> and a lot. Actually. Have you walked along like Chelsea Pier or that area?
1: Oh, yeah. And yeah.
0: It's awesome. But it's not the same as San Francisco. No. It's so not the same. I love New York. I, like a piece of my heart is in New York as well. But in San Francisco, there's a sense of serenity there and such a beauty, i say. You can see so much from the waterfront. Treasure Island. Where we took our photos, which is amazing. <laughs> you can see the, both of the bridges, like Susan said. And no matter where you look, there's something to be seen. Even if you look towards the city, you could see Coit Tower, Transamerica Pyramid, all kinds of things. What would you say, Michaela, in terms of SF, New York, LA, or any other port and town? Like, what is unique about San Francisco for you?
1: San Francisco brings all the people to the waterfront. It's not just tourism. It's not just people from out of town. It's also us, like you and me. And we've talked about this before. We talked about this with Kim Brandon on where it's just this alluring part of the city where we all go to. And we, I feel like if you talk to anyone who lives in San Francisco, I'm just going to put that out there. If you talk to anyone who lives in the Bay Area, they love the waterfront, without a doubt. It is one of their favorite places in this part of the world and it's just so magical guys I mean there's that's all there is to say about it it's just a magical mystical place
3: my name is Carl Dolphy and I write a column for the San Francisco Chronicle called Native Sun which is about the city and about the Bay Area a little bit
1: Carl's encyclopedic knowledge of San Francisco doesn't just go back to the city's founding, but all the way back to prehistoric times when giants roamed the land.
3: It was much warmer then, and it was full of animals, like giant mammoths and big cats, like saber-toothed tigers and stuff, like the Serengeti plain of Africa. Wow. And and the sea level rose and made the Golden Gate. So climate change is not new. Huh. Wow, I had no idea. They still dig up. Pieces of mammoths like a North Beach. Right. The mammoth tooth and tusks and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. No one had any idea. That's fascinating. Only 8,000 years ago. That's, you know, not that long ago. No.
2: So maybe you're right. Maybe climate change isn't new. It isn't.
3: No. Okay. You look down at San Mateo Coast, you see these kind of coastal plateaus, those all former sea levels.
2: Right. Because the sea was once higher. Oh, yeah. Well, and it then much, it goes down. Higher.
3: It went down and goes up and down. Yeah. And yeah, the Golden Gate, this whole thing was a valley. This was a valley? A valley, yeah, with the big rivers coming through it, which is you now the Golden Gate. Out here in the bay was a valley. Yeah. Wow. So, this, so the, the, where o- we see the ocean water, was out there, huh?
2: Where the water is, that was
3: actually land? Yeah, it was land. Uh, Farrow sure. was 25 miles in the ocean. That was an ocean range. That was the edge of the ocean. Wow. So, between there, between what's now San Francisco, the ocean beach, and there was this big plain with elephants and tigers. And, and, uh, and tigers? Big cats, yeah, not tigers, big cats. Wow. You know, these, uh, California saber-toothed oh, right, right, animals. Right. Oh, my God. I wolves didn't and know stuff.
2: that. Yeah. I didn't know that.
3: Yeah, somebody told me about it. Yeah. It was like Africa almost, you know, and all these animals. and well, I don't know whether any are humans or not. Probably not. Probably Couldn't not. Find they're under the ocean anyway. Yeah. So, and the ice, age, the ice caps melted, and the river through the Golden Gate became the Golden Gate Strait, and it's all flooded. Like this. Huh. About 8,000 years ago. 8,000 years ago.
2: 8,000
3: years ago. This was on the far side of the world. So the California coast was not explored until 1542. This is Cabrillo. That's the time of Henry the Eighth in England. And people of Europe or China did not know about us. Nowhere in the world did anyone know, except for the people who lived here, that California was even here. It wasn't even discovered by Europeans until... Well, the outside world till 250 years ago. <laughs> wow! <laughs> and the people showed it to him and said, "Look at this!" And they, well, so, you see the result.
2: So, tell us a little bit about the the port. What was the impetus
3: to even build the port in the first place? Well, the impetus is a gigantic harbor here. It's about 450 square miles of salt water, and all the way up the rivers, to almost you could go to Sacramento and Stockton by ship. Colonists, the Spanish and the French and everybody else, the British, were looking for a port on the west coast. And When they found this bay in 1769, it was a clear place for the development of the region, right? Because it was all native Californians were living here, native Indian people living here, about, I don't know, 20,000 maybe, not that many. So the Spanish colonists came up and built a mission and a presidio at a fort on San Francisco Bay, hoping that it would be the center of commerce for them. But it was the end of the world for them because they had come up from Mexico. So that's as far as they got. And the Russians came down from Alaska. But both of those were too far away from their home base. And all of that was a qu- very quiet. Almost no commerce here. A ship every once in a while. A ship about every three or four months. When Richard Henry Dana came here in 1834, there was only one other ship in the harbor, an American ship and a Russian ship. And the Americans were trading with the Spanish and Mexicans for hides and stuff like that. What happened was in 1848, they discovered gold on the American River near, out of Sacramento, set off its gold rush. And the timing was, you know what they say about timing? Timing's everything. Right. Sir. There was a famine and there was a revolution in Europe, Germany, Italy, France, there was a big famine in Ireland. There was a famine and warlord stuff trouble in China and a bunch of revolutionary stuff in South America. And they all came from all around the United States. They all came here at the same time and turned this place into this kind of instant city, the way you add water to something, a big food. I mean, it went from nothing, a village of about 350 people, to an instant city of 10,000, 15,000, or something like that in a year. In a year. And what prompted that was this harbor, the port. Because there was, there was only two ways to get here. You could walk across the United States. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of mostly, mostly, a lot of it was unexplored. In you know, other there wasn't anybody there, except the Indian people who were hostile to, to this, but didn't attack them because they thought these folks were just passing through. Right. And besides, they carried disease. They carried cholera and other stuff, so they stayed away from them at first. Right, right. Until they realized what was going on. But at first, they just stayed away from them. Oh, they only rid these guys. They're not going to stay anyway. So that was when you had to walk. And the other way was by sea. And that was how they came. About 15,000 in a single year by sea and the rest by land. And the prize was the Bay of San Francisco. San Francisco here is a deepwater harbor. You could sail over the Golden Gate, anchor right here. And the city is built on that. The little cove where we are in a ferry building was part of Yerba Buena Cove, and underneath this ferry building, and just up the street, are remnants of uh, ruins of old ships. Yeah. What I'm called the Roma is right under Market Street, where this streetcar, uni you know, you Metro streetcar makes a turn to get out to the ballpark. The ship under there. Oh, I didn't. I have never seen that. Yeah, you know, I've never seen it because they tore it all up and oh. they put a tunnel right through it, but the bones of it. Wow. You know the timbers and pieces of it were are all there. Wow. City is like, a, like Troy. An you know, ancient Troy was built on top of another city like this. Underneath the city is 150 ships, pretty much, all filled in. And the bay came all the way up to Montgomery Street. So, this made first an instant city, and then because all the money and all the industry and all the gold was in the interior not far away and easily accessible by river boat or something, San Francisco became the natural. Harbor and center of the West Coast, biggest port on the West Coast, biggest city on the West Coast, biggest everything. Well, it was the biggest city on the West Coast all 1920, 100 years ago. But uh-huh. For the first 100 years, it was it. It was it. All because of the harbor. Wow. So the golden age, though, that was about 1929, 1930. Okay. In 1930, this building here, the ferry building, because of the, there were no bridges, this building was the second busiest terminal in the whole world. After Charing Cross Station of London, it was bigger than Grand Central Station. It had more people than Union Station in Chicago. And in 1930, I think it was, I think the record for ships entering the Golden Gate was one day was 42. So this whole waterfront, which is now what you see now, kind of uh, empty looking but very beautiful, was just full of ships the Center of World Trade then.
2: So wow.
3: Changed yeah. Uh,
2: that's a good story, but
3: you know, you, know, you walk along, it's beautiful.
2: It's gorgeous. Yeah, it is beautiful. I, I did it the other day. I gave yeah. someone a tour, and it was really, it was great. Where'd you go? We started at the Ferry Building, yeah. and we went to the ballpark and back, and I kind of... Just that way, south? We yeah. just went that way, but what I did was I kind of just told them, they're from the East Coast, so I told them the accomplishments might be physical accomplishments my father was able to make when he was mayor. Which, yes. which a lot, so a lot, yeah, yeah. So we started, and I, it was it ended up being. I was like, oh, I can. There are two I of think them. I, the ballpark I think I can and, do This tour and, again. <laughs> again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. If I market it correctly. But yeah. also, that's a good way to tour the baseball game. Walk down the southern waterfront to the baseball game. You walk by that temple of cheap food red's java house and all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's true
2: i also love that if you really want to learn the history of san francisco you have to start the ferry building because basically it's the beginning it's the waterfront it's where yeah. we are it's it is, the beginning yeah, of yeah. how it all started yeah. in the first
3: place yeah the first time the spanish missionary f- father pedro font saw it he said he traveled all over the world he'd been from spain so he'd been to mexico and He said, the fairest place he'd ever seen was this. And he said, if it ever could be settled, it would be as beautiful as any city in Europe, which it turned out to be.
2: Can you tell us a little bit about the maritime history here?
3: Well, the maritime history starts with Spanish discovery of the bay. You say discovery because the Indians were here and knew about it. But they had not explored or traveled, and it wasn't developed. It was sighted by uh, the Spanish in 1769 in November. The Indian party led Sergeant Ortega to the top of a hill down on Sweeney Ridge in San Mateo County, where you can see the South Bay. And he just a huge bay. He was all amazed. This is the harbor we've been looking for. And they came back Later, I explored around the edge of the bay in 1775. The first ship, as far as we know, came in here. That was a Spanish ship named San Carlos in August 1775. They anchored at what's called Ayala Cove and Angel Island, explored the bay. For they stayed about a month. The native people were very friendly to them, and they thought this is really an amazing place. So then they set back that this harbor was here, and nothing happened for 17. 17- Seventy-five to eighteen forty-nine. When forty-eight, forty-nine, when gold was discovered, when it became the gold rush, they said started in January of eighteen forty-nine, when the steamship—I may have been wrong on that date, but it was eighteen forty-nine for sure. The winter, the steamship California came in the Golden Gate. It had come from New York, establishing mail service to the West Coast. So I had to go all the way around South America, which it took months. When I got to Panama. The ship had hardly any passengers. Nobody wanted to go. They met thousands of people on the beach wanting to go to California. Why is that? So they heard that gold was discovered. They would pay anything to go on the ship. So the ship was built to accommodate maybe 50 passengers. They jammed about 350 on there, all they could hold. Oh, my gosh. Really rough-looking people, to adventurer guys. And they all had big big mutinies and fights and yelled at the captain. They burned up all the fuel. They had to stop in Monterey, chop down trees to get more fuel. (laughs) The big horrible wow. place. So they come in the Golden Gate, boom, and there's this whole tent city here. And I'm impressed people here already. Tent City and muddy looking horrible place with not a single building, maybe one. And that started the gold rush. Then the whole bay filled up with ships, hundreds of ships, like a forest of masts, like forest of trees of masts. The crews came and that's it, yeah, we quit. <laughs> I went to the Gulver. They could they couldn't hold passengers or crew here. They looked around and said, look, you want to go back to the United States and for cheap pay, we're paying you or what? And he just, no, we're, not, we're leaving, we're we're here. My great-grandfather came in 1855. He was a German.
2: Because you were a fourth-generation San Francisco, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: Like your family, he saw a better opportunity here, you know? <laughs> yeah. He first went to Australia, I think because it was a revolution in Germany. He was a German, and a lot of Germans bailed out of Germany because the revolution had failed. They had a big crackdown on Political stuff, but a lot of them went to Australia. They weren't; they were free people. They weren't prisoners or anything like the British were. They were Germans. They went to German, you know. People in Australia called the 1848ers. When they went to Australia, it turned out there was a rebellion against British rule. And family stories: This is not a place for a nice German kid like me. I'm leaving. But they had heard of a gold rush in California, so he came here. I don't know much more than that. He's here. In around 1855 or something like 1855. that.
2: 1855, your yeah. great grandfather.
3: Yeah, his name was William. That's my middle name.
2: Okay. And then he had your parents, your, your mom or dad?
3: My father's born here, but my mother's an immigrant from Ireland. Okay. She left Ireland because of the same reason people leave Central America, El Salvador. It was a rebellion against the British, followed by a civil war. Pretty unfortunate. They were all poor, she had a lot of kids. I got in touch with my Irish relatives a couple of years ago and heard more of the stories about. What Ireland was like it was terrible. You know, so she signed on with Anglo-Irish family to be a kind of, she was kind of a companion or maid or something like that. She was a servant, essentially. People all see these British movies about the ruling class. Well, we were a member of the ruling class. <laughs> right, 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 right. My mother often reminds me right. she, what she saw, upstairs, downstairs. She said, well, we, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> I was uh, downstairs myself. I was, yeah. you know, yeah, I was, I as a maid some of the time.
2: Yeah, I said, and eh. they, they show it pretty well in Downton Abbey too.
3: Yeah, you didn't go back to the old country once you left Europe. That was it. It didn't. Then you stayed No there. contact with them at all till a couple of years ago. I found my brothers so on the internet. I went to see them. They live in a little town called Callan in County Kilkenny. My father and grandfather were both born here. And this building here, the ferry building, was my grandfather's favorite building. Wow. As a little kid. He'd say, you want to go downtown with me We're go downtown? Sure. I was very impressed because my grandfather knew the cable car guys, the operators. And he knew him by name, and he took me down here. And he said, this is the best building in the whole city, kid. Remember which, that?
2: Which is the Ferry Building. And the, the, the cable car, did it go all the way down Market? or where Well, I took the, the Sacramento Street cable
3: car. But okay. you can take the California Street cable car, it's only a block from here. Yeah, that's true. But the cable car did go all way down Market, but that's... You know, before our time, I don't know. I know. I'd read about him. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get
2: interested in history? Because you were well, I'm not interested in of history. history. I'm
3: interested in stories about okay. stuff. Okay. And my father it was a big walker. He liked to walk all over the place, kind of like your father. And he saw stuff and told me about it. And I was always interested in it, the stories. And he worked at a waterfront. He worked for the railroad, being a switchman or something. He worked for telling tickets at the ferry building. He was a night watchman kind of security guard kind of guy on the marketer on the waterfront. Wow. That's the one he'd take me with him. So he'd say, you want to go down and go to go work with me? Yeah, sure. I don't have anything to do. he watch hang out. So we go to, to the piers and look. On, we, one time we'd go, and sometimes we'd go on ships and see the crew, and they'd give us oh, a little kid coffee and stuff, you know? That's hey, cool. Kid, this is nifty, you know, so I got kind of interested in
2: and I know that your accomplishments are gigantic, and I'm not—I'm not, <laughs> not going to name them all because I'll probably do that during That's our right. I
3: don't have any. during the intro. <laughs>
2: but how did you get interested in telling the, in writing your call of Native Son?
3: Well, I got the call because I worked for the paper before, but I got interested in newspapering, and I, I don't like to say journalism because that sounds too important. When I was a little kid, I used to deliver the paper, and I read it first, making it late to deliver, and kind of drifted into it. I always, used to always read the label on the cereal boxes and all that stuff. So I was interested in reading. You know, so I did. I read a lot. I did other things. I was a soldier for a while, got drafted. I was a public relations guy. So that I got a job working for the Chronicle. And that enabled me to tell, you know, look at the city and cover stuff, tell stories about it, you know, stuff like that. It's,
2: you know, because your column is legendary. I got a column legendary.
3: Well, I don't know about that, but it's, you know, I got that later. First, you have to ship the paint. And <laughs> I had a column in college, sports column. Right. Oh, you did. It took me 50 million years to get the column back. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was a sports editor. I never got a title as good as that, though. <laughs> I never got the title, but I did get the column. So I've been doing that for about almost a, a dozen years, maybe. Yeah. Now we're just out of one day a week. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It keeps me out of bars, I guess. <laughs> keeps you healthy.
2: So, San Francisco was kind of a rough town during the Gold Rush days. Was oh it yeah, swashbuckling and
3: well, I don't know. Swashbuckling implies pirates and yeah, it does. Guys with swords and everything. <laughs> these were people with guns. These were people who had nothing. Came here because they had nothing to lose and everything to gain, and they were unattached. They were here for adventure. They had left because of a famine, because of a. Revolution, or because they wanted something out better, or they just drifted here. Somebody said if you tilted the country, all the nuts would come this way, right? <laughs> yeah. And so the first establishments here were probably saloons, and then the oldest profession, and gambling, and everything else. Because here comes a whole <laughs> shipload full of people, not knowing where they are or anything. And on the beach, or people who have been here earlier, figure I figure these people can be easily fleeced. I mean, <laughs> Some of them, the Australians particularly, had come from Australia. Not my great-grandfather, because he was, I guess, a good guy. But these guys were escaped criminals or some other people. Right. And they set up a place called Sydney Town after Sydney, Australia, at the foot of Telegraph Hill. robbed people. They also set fires. They thought it was easier to rob people if they were fleeing from a fire. So they set fires and robbed oh. people as they fled the fires. Wow. Oh,
2: that is insane.
3: <laughs> they, it was, yeah. They were pretty tough. They were called the Sydney Ducks. I don't the know why Sydney I Ducks. ducks yeah.
2: So it seems like people have always had
3: a kind of a rough edge. There's been a rough edge in San Francisco all the time. I mean, you know, if I were a, a medical guy, I'd call a psychiatrist in the city. It has two sides. I mean, it's just walking down here right in front of the Federal Reserve headquarters of Market Street, one block up here from here. There's a little, used to be a flower stand. that was dedicated like a beauty trolley bus. Now it's it covered with graffiti, and it says SF Psycho. And, and, you know, here's tourists getting on a bus to get out to to go see the city. Here's this. Across the street is a, you know, starting to get cable cars. Up there's a cable car terminal there and all kinds of nice stuff. And a high of the hotel, the beautiful ferry building. In the middle of that, is this kind of out-of-control rough stuff going on. I don't know, you know?
2: Yeah. It's, it's
3: a split personality, to say the least.
2: We're definitely going through a pretty rough period, as far as I'm concerned, that I've seen in my life.
3: It's getting a little better. I think the rough period was... Uh, about last winter, when downtown was all ghostly looking and tender oh, all yeah. drug stuff and uh, bad things. Barren. A little better now. It's a little better now, yeah. Yeah, but it is rough.
2: Yeah, we, we drove through the tenderloin the other day, and I was like, oh my gosh. I hope oh, you walk fast. <laughs> we were in the car, but it was like, oh, this is, uh, this yeah, is yeah. it was always been skeevy, but not, not to this degree. It, yeah, it's a
3: big phenythal drug crisis there.
2: Big crisis there.
3: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I walked up Market Street yesterday from the Ferry Building to Van S. Avenue, and I uh, saw the best. this part down here is pretty good, and up to about Fifth Street is pretty good. Then you get the mid-market. It's pretty bad. There's a big line out there where they're giving away free food by some Catholic nuns about two blocks of the City Hall. I mean, it's just amazing contrast in San Francisco. Yeah. But still, you know, it's if you're... The of like you and I, you have to stick with it, I think.
2: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it keeps changing. It does, yeah. Yeah. So we had a chance to interview John Burton because he's now on the port commission and we're gonna interview Kim Brandon after you. But so what is the port doing now?
3: Well the first thing Kim Brandon's gonna tell you is about sea level rise and they're rebuilding the seawall to prevent what we see here from being underwater again, as it was 8,000 years ago. But the port is doing two things. One is, this, it's, it's not just a shipping port. It, there's a remnants of that. There are shipping cars out of uh, out by Pier 80 to China, mostly. There's some activity here. We had cruise ships before the COVID happened up in the Pier 27. They're doing that. They're, they're developing the port. They, and also, they make it. they may have made it thanks to big changes in your father's time, into a port that's accessible to the people and open to the people to walk on. When I was a kid, it was not a good idea to be walking around in Barcadero at night or even in the daytime. No, not it was, at all. rough. Right. Yeah. I worked at the post office, at both over here and at Rick at Annex, and there were some places here I wouldn't go. We just didn't want to be down here after dark. It was dangerous. It was colorful and beautiful and full of ships and everything, but there were strikes, there were tough guys, you know, if you go to the port of Oakland and look at it, if you get in there and see how chaotic maritime commerce really is, there are trucks running all around. And it's a tough industry. Now it's open. You could walk, as you said, to, from the ballpark to the Fisherman's Wharf. You could go all, all over the place. a beautiful national park down there with all these historic ships in it. I think the Port Commission is make it better. It's well, not easy to do.
2: No, it's not easy. Because it's political do. as hell. Yeah.
3: And John Burden, of course, had a role in turning the port into a port that belongs to the people of San Francisco, not just the state. It was uh, run by the State Board of Harbor Commissioners for years and years and years. The state got it because private industry is mostly intent on <laughs> robbing the people, or just, well, let's say, making a profit out of it. I had control of the port, and were going to use it for their own purposes, so the state got control of it 150 years ago, something. And they only got it back from... The the city only got it back from the state. When was that, 50, 60 years ago? Not long ago. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Something like 50 or 60 years ago, something like that.
3: Yeah, but one of the problems that the port had was people will, they all claim that we've lost our maritime sense of of the port. What happened was that the port of San Francisco, when the the maritime industry changed to containers, putting all the cargo in these big steel boxes, 40 feet and 20 feet long, putting them on ships, Oakland invested heavily in that. San Francisco invested instead in a technology called lighter aboard ship, which turned out to be an obsolete technology. It's almost as if you invested in airships, dirigibles instead of jet planes.
2: Yeah, exactly. And so exactly.
3: The shipping went all to Oakland instead of to San Francisco. We were in a boxcar business, and they were in a unit trade business. They were in a modern business, and we stuck in the wrong end, and But in a way, that's okay, because if you had the kind of activity you have at the Port of Oakland, in in the front door yard of San Francisco, people couldn't drive on the Embarcadero, they couldn't walk on the Embarcadero, they couldn't hang out on the Embarcadero, they couldn't have restaurants except for kind of hash houses and places like If It would
2: be a working port like Oakland, it would not be what it is, which is a magnificent, beautiful place to walk.
3: Yeah, yeah. So it has benefits for the people of San Francisco. On the other hand, the maritime industry is important. I mean, 90% of everything we have comes by sea. His coat probably made in China. I'm sorry, his watch is a Swiss watch. It didn't come on an airplane, I'll tell you. My shoes are from China. It all came by sea. Right. And so the sea has always been important to this region. San Francisco is more than just a city. It's also a region. And that region is right over there. I mean, it's just... It's a, it's important and useful and beautiful at the same time. I don't know how you describe that. Is there such a thing? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it's... Best. Well said.
2: Yeah. Yeah. What do you think the future of the port is going to be?
3: You know, there's always a debate about the future of the port. That's been going on. <clears throat> since the time of the Spanish, <laughs> you know. It's been going on forever. People want to build hotels here for tourists. And people want to have it open the way it is. People want to have a, a kind of combination the way it is. You have tugboats just up here, pilot uh, vessels just up here. You have a baseball park just down the street. And you have places where people can walk. We also have maritime commerce, a little bit of it, some of it going by. As a backdrop, you have tugs and... All kinds of stuff. Cruise ships, when they come back, will come here again. I sail a lot of here on cruise ships about 10 or 15 times, and it really is. Two things are amazing. One is sailing out of San Francisco on a ship through the Golden Gate, and the better yet, you sailing back in. Uh, it's beautiful. They come in, unfortunately, way before dawn, so you have to get up really early, and you right. come in, and it's all dark, and you come under the bridge, which is lit up, of course, and then... And the city of San Francisco kind of comes up like a mirage on the, on, the, on the right-hand side of the ship. Boom, there it is. Wow. You can see it. And, it, and it's really beautiful. Sailing out is also beautiful. But that's the sort of sense of going away. I've gone out, in and out of the Golden Gate lots and lots of times. You're outside. You see, have you come in by ship ever, yourself? No, never. When you're out there. You could see sunset in Richmond District. The streets all lined up. You can see them from the ocean. You can see the bridge, and you could see it. And you could come up on it, Mount Tamil Pass on the right. It looks like, uh, you know, the country, the completely wilderness. And you, and you come in, and, and under the Golden Gate Bridge, it really is something. Wow. Uh, so beautiful. Going out the same way, except you're leaving, and you're going out, you go out well, under exactly. the bridge. Usually the ship will blow a whistle or something. <laughs> or press the hell on but They don't do it in the morning, because they noise people. But, and then, uh, then you go and have a drink. And go, ah, look at that. It's <laughs> amazing. It's fun.
0: It's amazing. So you mentioned your great-grandfather.
3: Yes, what about him? I don't know you don't worry about him than I do. I just told you. Oh, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> about him. Where did he first settle in the city? He, as far as I could tell, from looking at the city directory, his first house was at, at 44 Montgomery Street. Wow. Right up here, which is where the Wells Fargo Bank headquarters is. So he lived on Montgomery Street. Then he lived on Kearney Street. And then his main house was at 631 Minna, Uh which is south of Market. Yeah. And my my grandfather, my great-grandfather lived there. My grandfather was born there. And across the street was, and I looked up at the census. I never found this out later. Across the street was a family who had come from Ohio, who were Irish. They were hare. Three girls and a boy. Their mother was a widow. And one of the girls, was her, her name was Alice Hare. And my grandfather married her. Okay. My grandfather was the German. So I'm three-quarters Irish. Uh huh. But the German part, my uh, brother didn't approve of too much. My, my brother would say, I have two kids and one kraut. <laughs> and that was not a compliment. They live in a Western edition. 1908 line in Sacramento. Wow. Which wow. is still there. Yeah.
0: And then you're, you're born in?
3: I'm born in what, what is now, I think it's California Pacific Medical Center on Sacramento Street. Uh-huh. Right. But then it was the Stanford Hospital. Oh, wow. Well,
2: and where did you grow up? When, I never was... grew up. Okay. Important, <laughs> important, <laughs> where important were you to
3: remember child? that. Okay. I, I grew up on Petrero Hill. Petrero Hill. Yeah. Now what was that like? The, the mission? Well, it was, it was not what it is now. I'll tell you, that. it was a lot of open space, with hill with goats and horses on a little bit. And during World War II, they built a housing project up there, and I changed it. I delivered newspapers to the housing project. Is that why it's called Goat Hill? It was, it was Danny Goat, uh, Goat Hill Pizzas up there, yeah, yeah. I know that guy, the Goat Hill Pizza guy, he lived in a houseboat on Mission Creek. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. Phil DeAndre, you ought to talk to him. Yeah, it would be great. And it was the working folks. We lived at about three or four different houses up Petrero Hill. One was a Carolina Street. We got evicted from that because we couldn't pay the rent with the Depression. We had, moved, had to move to Marin for a while, and came back. And it was big, steep hills. We all walked everywhere. It was kind of rough. Yeah. One time, uh, I, I did something. I like injured my ear, and I, my mother and father couldn't do what to do with it. So we went to the Mission Emergency Hospital, like a Saturday night, and they said... Doctor said, just sit here, Sonny. I have to do something else. And they, what he had to do something else was take care of guys from a big bar fight at Petro Hill on 24th Street in the Mission. Wow. Where they had fights with beer bottles. And they were all cut <laughs> up. And, oh, gee. A oh, over. wow. So the Mission District was pretty rough. Yeah. I was out there the other day. And somebody said, where did you? You grew up in Petro Hill. Where did you go to where well, having lunch with somebody? Where would you go to lunch at Petro Hill then? Go to lunch? We didn't go to lunch. <laughs> We went home, maybe. That's right. And my, I said, I called up my sister. We go to lunch? No, of course not. What do we have for lunch? Well, I said, we had, if we went home, we had a p- peanut butter jelly sandwich. Wow. We had a restaurant. It wasn't any restaurant. Yeah. It was a coffee shop. Did, 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 our, did our father go to lunch? <laughs> of course not. He had, you know, he had a thermos bottle in a the lunch pail. Lunch, lunch pail. Yeah. yeah. You know, they didn't do that. Right. Nobody went to lunch. It was all, they had to work. You know? Right. Everyone's Except working class. Yeah. They worked in the shipyards. They worked in a water fire. Right. About a quarter of the people in San Francisco, in the d- Depression, around that, the 30s, about a quarter of the people either worked at a waterfront or had something to do with it. It was it. It was the port. It was the city.
2: So it was the main industry here, it was the, was the, yeah, was the yeah, water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the waterfront. It's,
3: it's, yeah, yeah. They worked, either they were longshore people or they were sailors or they worked on the ships. Barker there was lined with... Warehouses and shops that sold stuff to sailors, you know, gear, hats, gloves to use to work, working stuff, or equipment like barometers or something like that. They sold all kinds of stuff. Wow. Ship chandries, like a yacht to harbor, stuff. And, and then there were all these warehouses They're all down by the baseball park. Right. See them.
0: Right, right. Yeah. Must have been a sight to see, because, you know, one of my favorite views... Is on top of Petra Hill, looking east. Yeah. You can look down at the yeah. water. You see China Do you Basin. You on Hill? No, no. I uh, I own a business in South Market, so I often drive. So where? where? My office is on Third and Brandon.
3: Oh, Third and Brandon. Yeah. Well, we, you know, where Saint Teresa's Church is up Hill on 18th Street, and about I don't know Arkansas or Mississippi or something. Yeah. There's a library there, no mm-hmm. public library. I remember going up, being up there, because we used to sometimes walk over to St. Teresa's Church, and at night, the, the rail yard there was just full of steam locomotives and all kind of freight and stuff like this. Wow. Trains ran up and down the waterfront, you know. Steam trains. Shh, Amazing. Smoke, you know, steam and noise and yeah. everything. So the whole city, that part of the city, is just noisy at night, just banging, slamming, and and the shipyards worked all the time, too. Right. So. You
0: could just watch all the action. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it was full of life. Yeah. Industrial life. That's all got away. You know, we we got high tech now. Yeah. But it was like high tech is now.
2: Right. And the exactly. major
3: major industry. Yeah. All connected either shipping or, or manufacturing which had to do with shipping. So you know, all the stuff was made here. Mm. You go up to Victoria BC, the nice beautiful place along the main city where old buildings are built in the eighteen seventies. And all the ironworks on it says Phoenix Ironworks, San Francisco. No kidding. They manufactured stuff for all the West Coast. Wow. Wow. Up in the mines, you go up to Virginia City where they had all the gold mines and silver mines. All the equipment says was made in San Francisco. Wow. It's amazing. It was a big, you know, either you had it made in Pittsburgh and shipped it out here by rail, which took forever and cost a lot of money, or you made it here. That's what they did. It's amazing. It's super cool. Yeah. Awesome. I've seen old pictures, though. You know, they say smog is terrible. But before that, all these industries, before they got oil, them burned coal. So the whole city is covered with coal smoke and smokestacks pewing smoke out. And there's a book called Recollections of a Thule Sailor about a ferry boat captain described coming into San Francisco in the winter. All this haze over the whole city, gray. From the coal. But, yeah, from smoke, the smokestacks and the factories and the, uh. all that stuff. They had to get rid of coal because you had to import it from the East Coast, so they used oil instead, but it still made a lot of oil smoke is still black and heavy in factories, you know. Toxic. They thought that was good. Yeah, because all those people here 100 years ago are all dead, right? Yeah, they're all dead, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't care. So it didn't Ah, really work. You for that one, (laughs) didn't you?
0: I'm just enlightened with all the stories told today.
2: I know, it's pretty amazing.
3: Well, you know, what's amazing about the city is it, it's this combination of all this stuff. It's a combination of salt water and hills and, you know, things like animals running around the city, so mountain lions <laughs> and fernal heights and all kinds of stuff, coyotes in and a, and an urban city that in many ways is, a, is kind of a mess in some ways about it, but the other ways is about it very beautiful. Uh, and it's all in this big combination place. You can't find that in very many other places. Maybe Manhattan. I don't know. But
2: No, you can't find thing. it in other places. I've, I want to ask you something. Treasure Island is a man-made island. What, is. what was the impetus to make a man island in the middle of the bay like that?
3: Yeah, we don't like to say man-made because that's sexist. It's artificial island. <laughs> okay, artificial. Okay, okay. You're right. Artificial, yeah. Well, San Francisco, as you well know, everybody who knows, likes to have parties. And so the first big party was in 1894 when they had an exposition at Golden Gate Park to celebrate the climate called the Midwinter Fair. They had a big thing, the De Young Museum came out of that, the Van Stane came out of that, and they had a Ferris wheel just like the one they put out there. So that was pretty successful. And then in 1915, only nine years after the city was. Completely destroyed in an earthquake. They had a big exposition in the marina called the Panama Pacific International Exposition. Yes. The reverend of that is the Palace of Fine Arts. Yes. But 1939, they decided to have another fair toward the end of the Depression to celebrate the opening of the Golden Gate Bridge and the Bay Bridge. Bay Bridge in 1936 and the Golden Gate a year later. So they didn't have any place to put it. And so, like the marina, which was a kind of a marsh, they filled it in on the shoal out here, shallow part of the bay. They built it and called it Treasure Island. They called it Treasures like a Treasure Island, or they claimed that the bottom of the bay was full of gold tailings or some other nonsense. It sounded good, anyway. Yeah. So, they called it Treasure Island, built the 1939-1940 World's Fair, era, which is a kind of Mayan-looking thing, kind of unusual. The whole thing was kind of a pastel color, beige that was the color it was, and it was out there, and it had a big, tall building, about 35 stories high, made out of plaster, temporary stuff, called the Tower of the Sun, which is really kind of beautiful, and a big statue called Pacifica. They named the town of Pacifica after the statue, and all kinds of entertaining stuff out there. It lasted for a year and a half. As a little kid, I went, too. I remember it was windy out there. Amazing.
2: So Treasure Island was made to have a party on
3: Yeah, Essentially, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That after the deal was, the government helped the federal government helped them with it. And the deal was going to be, after the fair was over, they're going to put the airport out there. Right, there's a. Terminal. That would have been something, but you uh, that's a pretty tough place to land. It's yeah, because
2: there is a terminal there. Wow,
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, but they never did because the war happened and it turned over to the navy. Right, and they got SFO now. Yeah, they built, that's what was called I, Bill's Field. So they field, turned
2: thing. it over to the Navy. I didn't know that.
3: Yeah, that's the Navy base. Well, you still see all the Navy stuff out there.
2: Yes, right. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's being developed into housing.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's an artificial island, so it has a couple of problems. One is earthquakes, and two, because it, it's, it's fill, right? Yeah. And right. So it's sort of unstable. And the other one is if sea level rise, really rises, as much as they say, I don't know what happened to Treasure Island, but... You've been out there, it's beautiful. Oh, it's yeah. gorgeous.
2: Oh, it's beautiful. And the views of San Francisco from Treasure yeah. Island are spectacular.
3: Yeah. But what they don't have out there, they have a flea market, or did have until a virus. But what they don't have out there, they don't have restaurants or bars or places to go.
2: No, they yeah. have only two restaurants there.
0: F- and a few wineries, I think.
3: They have a winery. Thing. And they have a winery. Yeah. yeah, they have a winery. Some the winery's room.
2: there. It's a tasting room. Yeah? Yeah, it's where the airplane terminal is. Oh, you mean the
3: uh, administration building? That was the administration building for the fair. Yeah. That's a nice building.
2: Yes, it's
0: a really nice building.
3: And then there's a yacht harbor over there. Yeah. And they're going to have a sailing school, I think.
0: We actually sailed there. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, there were about 20 little tiny
3: boats with kids. Yeah, yeah. Going back and forth on their little tiny sailboat. That's called Clipper Cove. One of the things for the airport was in 1939, they started flying across the Pacific with these big, huge flying boats called Clippers. It was a China Clipper. That's a kid who could. They flew over. You could see them, and they were these big flying boats. And they had this big lagoon, they took off from there. Wow! And flew to China, but they flew to China because they had to stop at Hawaii, and then they stopped at Wake Island and Midway and the Philippines, and then they got to China. Wow! They stopped overnight, like in Hawaii. You didn't overnight to Wake Island or something. Apparently, it cost to fly to Hawaii in those days, and those planes cost the pot. $1,500, which is like $25,000 of today's money. It was expensive. No kidding.
2: Wow. <laughs> to go to Hawaii.
3: Well, it took a while. It was. not <laughs> took quite a while. <laughs> it was a lot. It took a while. You had to sit next to I guess so, young, right? Yeah. You no, know, it was they had pretty good service. Pan American did it. No kidding. And it was, re- you know, really famous. Of course, World War II ended that. Right. It only lasted a year or two. Yeah. Before, the preferable way to go to Hawaii was by ship. By That's a ship from. Yeah. Thirty-five.
2: I, I, yeah. I, I would think that would be. You the should go. Walk. We're going
3: to go in November. Oh, no, that's exciting. Ship, but it's a cruise ship. If it, we, if if it's allowed, we've done it before. It takes five days to get there. From here. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> out the Golden Gate, right? Yeah. First few yeah. days, you got to put like, all your coats on, and it's cold. Yeah. And after about the third day, the sun comes out, and you sort of get sort of Hawaiian stuff, It starts getting warm, the tropics, and when you come there, it's all palm trees and. Yeah. Paradise of the Pacific stuff. That sounds lovely. That sounds so nice. Yeah. The whole trip takes 10 days, maybe longer. You go five days out, go to some whole islands, and you go, have to go to Ensenada and back here. I think it's maybe 15 days or something. We, we did it once, and we're going to do it in November, great. I hope. Great. We put a deposit on it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> if they let you go, you know, maybe the virus will happen. I don't know.
2: No, we'll no, hopefully not.
0: We'll see. That'd be great. All right. Thank you for being yes, on our perfectly. show.
2: Thank you so much for
3: your Okay. Time. What else can we do?
0: Have some coffee.
3: <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> Carl's interview was so inspiring. He's such a great storyteller. He doesn't like the word historian, but he likes to reform himself as a storyteller. But his knowledge of history of San Francisco, specifically the port, is astounding. The fact that 8,000 years ago, the San Francisco Bay was a valley with tigers running around. That's amazing.
1: And mammoths and lions and bears.
2: Oh, Oh my. Oh, my.
1: (laughs) And oh, wow, listening back to this recording, and I was just sharing with everybody, you guys said, wow, like every 30 seconds. It was just like, wow, 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 Carl, wow. I mean, it was fascinating. It was so fascinating, right? Just a wealth of knowledge. And going back to all the other people that we've spoken with, he, again, has blown us away with the history of San Francisco and the history of the waterfront, and also learning that he... Gained all of this interest in the city itself by his parents, who came here and and instilled that all of that drive and passion and and working as delivering newspapers as a kid, and and then he became a newspaper man. And talking about the buildup of the waterfront and really made me think about the way that large cities start on a port. And they are man-made and built, you know, like New York and like Louisiana and, and, and London and all these other towns that start as port cities were originally running around with lions and mammoths. It's crazy, Jay. Tell us more about your, your astounding awe about this chat with
0: Carl. I mean, yes, saber tooth tigers, mammoths. Fascinating. That's part of the first wow. But the other wow for me is to listen to a native San Franciscan tell us about his history and what it was like growing up. I just envision. I was transported back to when he was a child. I could imagine myself sitting on a grassy hill, eating a sandwich and looking down eastward into China Basin, what is now Mission Bay, dog patch, the whole area, and just watching and hearing all the sounds. I just love that. And a little secret, I'm a history geek. I love to hear how things came to be. So this is what I love about doing this podcast. It's just to find out, oh, why is that thing there now? Because it was before my time. So it was really great to meet someone who can really shed some light on the waterfront super cool
1: so cool so so cool and the waterfront is the coolest is we just can't stay enough amazing incredible wonderful delightful things about our waterfront here in San Francisco. So we're going to stop saying things now, and we're going to wrap up our Exploring the Waterfront series. But our interview that we have coming up next week is still very historically fascinating. It is with George Chen, the owner of China Live Oh, man, China Live, delicious. I am so looking forward to that interview. It's going to be really, really fun. And so in the meantime, everyone, don't forget to follow us on Instagram and on Facebook. We're at Beyond the Fog Radio.
0: And what else, Susan?
1: (laughs) Please
2: subscribe so we can keep bringing you all of these amazing interviews. You can listen to our podcast on Apple, Google, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: That's right. Thanks, Susan. And thank you all for listening to this week's episode of Beyond the Fog Radio. Until next week, take care. Bye now.
1: Bye. Thanks. Bye.
2: Thank you. Beyond the Fog Radio, all rights reserved, 2021.